Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. We're in this series where we're looking at Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as we go through what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a message that Jesus preached that outlined very specifically what he believed and what he wanted people to know. This is the first time in his ministry that this huge crowd was traveling with him. And so he sits down and he teaches them. So let's pray before we get started on today's message. God, thank you for uh, this powerful teaching that comes from Jesus. May we learn from it. May we learn with open hearts. May your Holy Spirit speak to people today that need to hear the truth of what Jesus has to say to us in this next section. God, we ask that you move in this room, move online, move in people's hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, several years years ago, some social scientists did this research project where they wanted to see how people acted uh, with boundaries and with no boundaries. And so they took a group of children and their teacher and they first took them to a playground where there was no boundary. It was a playground, a field, a bunch of kids and a teacher. And what they noticed was the kids stayed very close to the teacher. They didn't venture out much. They didn't play much. They didn't, really just didn't seem to enjoy it. Well, then day two, they took the same kids, the same teacher to another playground that had a boundary, had a fence around it. And what they noticed was when the fence was there, the kids played more. They seemed to enjoy it more. They ventured out a little bit more. And here's what they noted from this research project. The overwhelming conclusion was that given limitation, children felt safer to explore the playground. Now, in our world that celebrates uh, no boundary living, here's what the truth really is. Limits actually bring life. Clear boundaries in life actually lead us to a full life. And Jesus has been talking about to this large group of people, much larger than this group, some boundaries in life. He talked about what a boundary around murder looked like. Well, of course, Jesus doesn't want us to murder. God said, do not murder. But Jesus took that command a little bit deeper and said, I don't want you being hateful towards people. I don't want you hating people. I don't want you saying hateful words that, that degrade them as the creation that I made them to be. And he said, when you do that, it's murder. Then he said, uh, I don't want you to to lust. I don't want you to to commit adultery, but I don't even want you thinking about it because that's where all of our actions begin is in our minds. And so he said, well, here's the boundary. Don't think about it and you're a lot less likely to do it. And then Jesus moves to what I think is one of the most controversial things that he says in this entire sermon, one that's hard to understand, one that's hard to teach, one that I prefer not to be in there. But 
since I said, we're going to teach through this and see what Jesus has to say to us today from what he said then. Here goes. Chapter 5, verse 31. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Whew. What I want to say is, y'all go figure that one out, what Jesus was talking about. Let's go down to verse 33 and talk about oaths or, or, or revenge or something that's much easier and exciting to talk about. Well, today I'm going to share with you what I believe Jesus is teaching about divorce and remarriage. What Jesus is teaching about what happens when divorce happens. And I don't teach about it from uh, someone who's never been around divorce because uh, my parents are divorced, uh, my siblings are both divorced. And so I don't teach about this from something that I've never been around. And statistically, about 45% of you have been through a divorce. And it's more than that if you count who's been affected by it, like me. So why would Jesus bring up divorce to these Jewish people? It's all Jewish people he's talking to. Uh, they had been following a rabbi's teaching. Jesus comes along, he's a rabbi, and they start following Jesus's teaching. So why would Jesus bring that up? Well, just like now, and just like with murder and adultery, there were rabbis and there were people who followed those rabbis looking for loopholes in the word of God. And so one loophole was, well, I may not ever take a, a weapon and murder somebody, but I don't like that person and they're an idiot. And I wish they weren't on the face of the earth. And Jesus said, well, you're just looking for a loophole. That's still murder. And they were saying, well, I may never cheat on my spouse, and Jesus is saying, yeah, but you think about it and you fantasize about it and you let your mind go there and you look longingly and yeah, you have. So Jesus was talking to a group of people who had been looking for loopholes in the word of God. And so now he brings up marriage and divorce. This verse, these two verses I read have been misinterpreted and used and not looked at in context to make people feel guilty, to make them feel uh, wrong, to make them feel like they could never be right before God no matter what they did, uh, to make me, people feel like they're trapped and they have to stay. And I just wanna say right at the beginning that if you are in an abusive relationship, physically abusive, because physical abuse is the deepest level of betrayal in a marriage, that's not what Jesus is talking about. And that won't end without some kind of outside intervention. So that if that applies to you today, you need to get help now. And unfortunately, some have twisted these words to mean that, oh, you have to stay no matter what and just endure. And the last thing I want anybody to feel today as I talk through Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage is trapped by abuse. That's not what today's about. So in his context, as Jesus speaks to these first century Jewish people who had been taught by first century rabbis, uh, they had a couple different approaches uh, 
just like people do around even Christianity today. They had a uh, conservative approach and they had a liberal approach. And depending on which rabbi you would have lined up with, you would have either taken a conservative view of, of marriage or a very liberal view of marriage. And here's, here's the fact when it comes to the whole idea of conservative and liberal. I don't want to be conservative. I don't want to be liberal. I want to be biblical. And that's what we should all hope for. And that's what we should all move towards because biblical is what Jesus was. And so let's look a little deeper about what Jesus was teaching and why. Now, from the very beginning, and we'll learn from Jesus' words, God never wanted divorce to be there. His plan for marriage from the very beginning was for life. He didn't want it at all. Jesus speaks about it because they had gotten so loose on what it meant to be married to someone, to commit your life to someone. They had gotten loose, they had been influenced by the world, they had been influenced by pagan cultures, they had been influenced by their own evil desires, and so rabbis started to line up in one of two schools of thought. One's called the School of Shammai. And here's what the School of Shammai said. The School of Shammai said, you can only get a divorce because of a sexual betrayal. The only way, there's no other way, it can't happen, there's no other way. Remembering that, God never wanted divorce to be there to start with, that was never his plan, that was never part of creation, that was never his desire. So anything less than that is not biblical. And so God said he wanted, divorce, uh, wanted marriage to be forever. So you had the school of Shammai that would have been a little more conservative. They would have said, oh, you can get divorced, but there's only one reason for it. And then there was the school of Hillel, which said you could divorce one. And really in that culture, it was man divorcing wife. It never worked the other way around because women didn't have the rights that they should have had. But in their culture, the man is really who they're talking about. He could divorce his wife for any reason, which included burning dinner, not liking the way his wife looked. Now that would have been the more liberal interpretation. So you had this large group of people and they're listening to Jesus and they would have subscribed to one of those two beliefs. See, in these two verses, Jesus repeats what they've already heard and then he gives them a more heart level command, just like he did for murder and just like he did for adultery. Let me, list, let me read it again. Now that you know the people in the audience would have held one of those two views, then Jesus says, it's been said, which in the first two, when he said it's been said, he repeated uh, one of the 10 commandments. In this one, He's repeating what they would have heard and been taught and believed, not part of the Ten Commandments. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Here's what they would have heard. They would have heard, you can't just divorce for any reason. And if you do, you will make your wife a victim. Now, how so? How does, that, how does that make her a victim? Well, first century women, they had very few options when it came to, to being on their own. Very few. 
either their father would take care of them or their husband would take care of them and there really weren't any good options after that. So when it says you make her commit adultery, it's because really the only thing she would have had left if she didn't have a father take care of her or a husband take care of her would have been prostitution. Some translations say you cause her to commit adultery or you force her in to an adulterous life. And so what Jesus is trying to say is you can't end a marriage for any reason. It can't be, I don't like the way you cook, I don't like the way you look, and I don't like your mother. And so I'm out of this thing. Jesus was speaking against that. Another time in Jesus's ministry, the, the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish religious leaders, Pharisees, they wanted to trap Jesus because they didn't like the way he taught. And so there's another place in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, where they ask Jesus about divorce, hoping they can figure out which one of these two schools do you line up with? Shammai or Hillel? Which one are you? We want to know whose side are you on? And Jesus made it very clear, no matter what they believed, he was on the side of God because he was the one that helped create marriage in the first place. So in Matthew 19, after these rabbis asked Jesus, tell us a little bit about uh, divorce, he said this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, and we could probably repeat this, let no one separate because it's said at every wedding that I've ever been to. And so the, these religious leaders, they wanted to trap Jesus, and so they were trying to get him to line up. But instead, he doesn't fall into their trap. Here's what he does. When they ask him, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That would have been the school of Shammai. Any reason, or the school of Hillel. You can just divorce her. But Jesus said, haven't you heard at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so from the words we've already read from Jesus, we can clearly conclude what Jesus believes about marriage. The one thing we know he believes about marriage is marriage is a covenant designed by God. God thought of it. Jesus repeated it. It was the biblical belief of the day and it's the biblical belief of today. Marriage is a covenant designed by God. Another thing we can easily determine when Jesus refers back to the intent of marriage is that it was a complementary relationship, meaning it was male-female, which is the only way in all of scripture marriage is ever used and ever mentioned, if you start at the beginning and go to the end, every reference to marriage is just that. So what did Jesus say about marriage? Well, it's designed by God, it's a complementary relationship, and it's a lifelong covenant. It's been proven 
that the best chance a child has growing up is in a home with a mom and a dad that are actively engaged in the child's life. Now, can you overcome not having that? Of course you can. I did. I didn't have that. You can overcome it. But God's ideal is that mom and dad, husband and wife, raise the children together. Can single moms and dads raise good kids? Absolutely. You can probably name a bunch. You may be one of those. You may be one of those single parents, being both parents, raising your child. You can do that and you can raise a godly child. But if that's you, I think you would even admit it would be more ideal if I had someone doing this with me. They also believe that marriage was permanent. It's a holy commitment. Who puts people together in a marriage? God does, so it shouldn't end. And then he believes it's exclusive. Because, he says, they'll become one flesh, which literally means glued together. Like, imagine super gluing your fingers together. Like, they're, glued, they're together. That's how Jesus is talking about marriage. It's exclusive. It's no longer two, but one. They're not two people. It's one, together, forever. Then Jesus tells us why marriages ended which was below God's ideal, but it's still why marriage is in today. Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So they're still trying to tra trap Jesus. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. So where does divorce come from? It comes from a hard heart. Now, when a marriage ends, either one or both parties has a hardness of the heart. If you've been divorced, you would probably say that either you or your previous spouse had a hard heart. It's either one person that their heart is hard, they don't wanna work it out, they won't work it out, or both say, we don't, neither one of us wanna work this out. In order for divorce to happen, somebody's heart has to be hard. And because of that hardness of heart or hearts, Moses permitted people to divorce because, I think it, was, it, it doesn't say why, but here's what I think. Why would God ever say, stay in a place that you're not wanted, you, you experience abuse, their heart is hard, they don't wanna work it out, they'll never wanna work it out. And so because of that hardness of heart, Moses said, okay, you can write her a certificate of divorce. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's ideal. But it happened because of the hardness of hearts. Because one person can't make it work. There's probably people in this room that you're the party that did everything you could to make it work, but it didn't make any difference because the other person didn't want to make it work. It takes two to make it work. One can't do it. So in this old Jewish law, Moses had created this provision because hearts were hard and divorce was permitted. And then in the next verse, Jesus says the same statement that he said in Matthew chapter five. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman causes her, uh, commits adultery. See, what he's talking about when he's talking about sexual immorality, it's more than a mistake. 
It's like a habitual adulterer. And in both Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, uh, the word Jesus uses for sexual immorality uh, is betraying the marriage. It's anything sexual with somebody that's not your husband or wife. And one school of thought said you could divorce for any reason. And Jesus is trying to help them understand divorce was the exception. It was not the rule. So here's what Jesus was affirming. It's a covenant before God. It's not to be entered into lightly. So how does that apply to today? That's what they knew that was in their context. How does that apply to us today? Because as I bring up divorce, it probably affects a lot of people in the room or watching online. And like I said, this verse has been used to create guilt and to even tell people they need back and divorce somebody they're now married to because it's not the first one, it's the second or another one. And you just got to go back and do enough divorces or either be single or that other person. And hopefully they're not married because if they're married, they got to get divorced. So y'all got to get back together. And if you do, then maybe God will let you go to heaven. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I see the heads nodding that you have experienced that. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about here. Here's what we know. There's reasons for separation and divorce. In other places in scripture, we know that it's a healthy thing if a couple needs to separate and cool off in order to save their marriage. And then divorce comes when either one or both hearts have grown so hard, they refuse to work on it and they won't. And we know that divorce is not in God's plan. I mean, the Old Testament actually gives us, in the book of Malachi, some insight about how God feels about divorce. Now, in the context of what I'm about to read, God is talking about the Israelite nation and him. And he's referring to divorce like he did. He divorced the Israelite nation because they were unfaithful to him. And he uses the same wording. But in this illustration about how they had betrayed God, he brings in marriage as a good illustration of what happened when Israel betrayed him. And here's what it says in Malachi chapter two. Did the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty says the Lord of the heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now, if you have gone through a divorce, if I had, this is a question I would have, and if you have, you probably have this question. Is divorce an unforgivable sin? Because if you divorce, you felt short, short, you fell short of God's ideal. Because his idea was marriage would last forever. So is it an unforgivable sin? No, it's not. That's the question. So what if you were the one that you betrayed the marriage and you just left it because I don't like your, the way you cook, look, and I don't like your mother. Like, what if that was you? What if you were that trivial? Does that mean God will never forgive you? No, it doesn't mean God will never forgive you because he clarified murder so people could be forgiven and free from it. He clarified adultery and lust so people could be forgiven and free from it. And he's clarifying divorce so we can live forgiven and free from it. And God doesn't hate divorce 
because it breaks the law. He hates it because of what it does to his children. It represents pain and hurt and betrayal and regret and difficulties. That's why Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter of everything as he's going through the Sermon on the Mount is not because he's trying to set up a new law. It's because he's trying to set up boundaries so we can live free and forgiven. So if you're carrying around guilt from a divorce, give that to the Lord, whether you were guilty or not, whether you were the one betrayed or doing the betrayal, it's time that you realize what Jesus was trying to say is, the boundary is that you have a marriage that's for all of life. If that doesn't happen, you need to seek forgiveness. The boundary was, you don't murder people with your words. If that's happened, seek forgiveness and live within the boundaries that God has set up. If you're struggling with a lustful mind that plans things out and has unhealthy fantasies about someone you're not married to, Jesus set the boundaries so now we know what they are so now we can live in freedom knowing what the boundaries are and if you've crossed them, then seek forgiveness and get it and live the way Christ designed us to live. Even in the most civil and agreeable divorces, I've never sat with someone that both parties were just having a party and celebrating. I'm sure it happens, it's, I've never seen it, but nobody, nobody says, I'm so glad that failed. I'm so glad I did what I did and they did what they did, they've done. And divorce came about because somebody's heart was hard. Now, you're probably, uh, I wouldn't do Q&A in a room like this, but I'm just gonna anticipate, oh, you might have some questions. And so here's some questions that I think you might have. What if my spouse keeps betraying the marriage through affairs or abuse? Well, you, you should probably look at a, a potential temporary separation to cool off and to work on it. That's biblical, to, rec, to help reconcile and, and heal the marriage. Now, Jesus told us that the marriage covenant is broken when adultery occurs. So the next step is, can reconciliation happen? Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Here's another question. What if I've been divorced for something other than abuse or adultery and I've remarried? That's a great question. That probably applies to many of you. Now, some interpretations of what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and, and, chapter, and chapter 19 actually enc would encourage people to go get another divorce, which we already determined that God hates and he doesn't want us to do to make themselves right before God. And that makes no sense, nor does it reflect the heart of a God that gives second chances. And if you've ever been pushed away from God because they said, well, you're, you're just not right until you go do these things that aren't right. That doesn't make sense. You were told wrong. And I hope this scripture gives you the strength to ask for forgiveness and live in it. Here's the fact, relationships among humans are complicated. We live in a broken world and the only hope is to align our desire to receive the forgiveness from God through Christ, no matter what you're living, how you're living or what you've done. Here's another thing you need to know. If you were on the wrong side of divorce, if you were in one of those situations where you, you were on the wrong side and you know you're on the wrong side, here's what you need to know. 
you can be forgiven. No qualifications, no yeah, but before you can be forgiven, you have to go do all this stuff. Submit your ways to God's ways and you can be forgiven by confessing Jesus as your Lord and living in that forgiveness. So the Apostle Paul spoke to all kinds of different immorality and whether we're gonna leave it behind or whether we're gonna carry it around. And remember, he, he talked a lot, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is the rule and reign of God in the hearts of people. The Apostle Paul told a, another church in a town called Corinth, here's what happens, here's what prevents the kingdom of God from ruling and reigning in your heart. He says to a bunch of people who had been sexually immoral and all kinds of stuff, he said, or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? God's rule in their heart. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, we're talking about that, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, we just talked about that, and they're men who have sex with men, uh, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. People that live like that do not have God ruling and reigning in their heart. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 9 through 10 says. And Paul was just restating a lot of what Jesus said, and it matches up with what Jesus believed about marriage and divorce. So, concerning adultery ending marriages. Jesus said that if your spouse lives in an unrepentant, sexual, immoral, sexually immoral state, you are not obligated to stay because their heart has grown hard. So God has given us this boundary when it comes to marriage. And when we stay in it, it's enjoyable. It's fun. It brings life to life. But when we go outside of that boundary, there's heartache and regret and pain that'll rush into your life. So how do you stay in God's pre-designed boundaries of marriage? So write this down or just write this down or memorize it. Number one, it's a covenant, not a contract. I've said that at every, every wedding I've ever done, every, every wedding I've ever officiated, I remind the bride and groom, you're not entering into a contract with somebody. This is a covenant that's be, to be kept for all of life. Because a contract says, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm out. But a covenant says, I'm gonna work on this. I'm gonna do everything in my power to make this work. And instead of looking for a way out, start with looking for a way to fix it. Second thing, you want to stay in the boundaries of God's design for marriage, marry the right person. I've sat with a lot of people and I, don't, I would never say this out loud to them, but in my mind, I'm like, you married the wrong person. Married now and it's time to work on it. Single people, I could not stress this more. Marry the right person. Now, could there still be problems when you marry the right person? Of course, we're human. We argue about things, we have differences. But if you marry the right person, you're a long way down the road when those conflicts already, that we will come up in a marriage, come up. Here's what I told my girls. And the oldest two are married. And they, they did awesome. And I said, here's what, when they started dating, I said, if he loves you, if he loves Jesus and loves you, I like him already. I don't care where he comes from. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care what he does for a living, just so I don't have to pay for everything. <laughs> so it's enough that you're not on my payroll anymore. I don't care about any of that. Here's what I care about. Does he love Jesus and love you? Now, can people who 
are in love with Jesus get in a marriage and there still be conflict? Absolutely. Does divorce still happen with people who love Jesus? It does, unfortunately. But it still goes back to a hardness of heart. Because when two people who love Jesus get together and get married, at least they are on the same pathway. At least they have the same biblical worldview and at least they're moving in the same direction. Because when you marry someone that does not share your faith and it can still work, I know of many instances that it did, I'm not saying it won't work, but you're choosing to start the journey with someone who has a separation of loyalties with you. Now you're not wrong if you did, but it's harder if you do. Number three, decide to work on your differences and conflict. Don't bail at the first sign of, uh uh-oh, something went wrong. And even even if it was as worse as you could think, is there a way that that person can stop that behavior and be healed? Through Christ there is. And start working on it. Forgive and be forgiven. I've seen marriages be stronger after they thought they were gonna fail. When someone betrayed someone else and then they get together and they work on it around Christ and they dealt with their problems, I've watched marriages go stronger through that. It can happen and there is hope. If yours is one of those, it's like, I don't know how we can get past this. And if you failed, here's what you need to know. Forgiveness awaits. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, the apostle Paul said to that same group of people, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So forgiveness awaits if you're the one that's failed. And then get help. If your marriage is struggling, don't go through it alone, get some help. I've got one resource to share with you. There are many, but here's one that will get you uh, quickly on some steps to get your marriage on healthy footing. Go to marriagehelper.com. I know the person that founded this. I know the person that runs this. Take a picture of that. I know many, there've been thousands of marriages saved, tuned up, made better because of marriagehelper.com. There's three options when you go on the website. You can determine which one you need and you can start that journey and it could change your marriage for the good. Now, here's the reality that I knew I was gonna have to deal with when I talked about marriage and divorce. It's really hard for some of you. Maybe right now you're going through one of the hardest times you've ever been through or you're dealing with guilt of the past. And I hope you heard every time I said forgiveness. Maybe today's the day you decide to start over or you decide, as far as you're concerned, you're gonna work harder than you ever have before. And here's what you need to do that. You need the Holy Spirit of God working in your life to help you deal with whatever reality is in your life in regard to your marriage. And so what I wanna do is just be bold and ask people, to just stand up if you would like me to pray over your marriage and your family, and I'll do that. I'll pray over you. And if nobody stands up, I'll pray over every marriage in this room. But without us looking around, looking around, stood up, if you feel like my marriage needs prayers and we need it now, thank you for doing that. Let's pray. God, I pray.
these people that are standing, God, I pray that whatever is going on in their marriage, whatever's going on uh, in their hearts, that you soften both hearts, God. That you give both of them the burning desire from you to work on having the marriage within the boundaries that you created. And God, I pray if anybody's standing, they've been the one that made the mistake. I pray that they feel rush over them the promise of your forgiveness when they ask and commit and let your Holy Spirit forgive them. God, I lift up every marriage in this room, especially these that have said, I need prayers. May your Holy Spirit work in them and change them and give them the marriage that you know they can have. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church Podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.